Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. Well, we have certainly come through some magnificent feast days in the liturgical calendars, both of the East and the West. In particular, of course, the East, because that's what this program is about. The gifts of the Eastern churches, the Eastern lung of the church, as John Paul II would say. We came through the magnificent feast of the incarnation, the self-emptying, the kenosis, In other words, more commonly known as Christmas. (laughs) In these, we like these other terms as well because it expresses the theological significance of the event of Christmas. Then we came into the Feast of the Circumcision, which is a big day for the Eastern churches. And on that same day, which is January 1st, we celebrate the Feast of St. Basil the Great. Then, of course, we came into the big one, the big one second only to the resurrection, to Pascha itself, and that is the Theophany the baptism of Jesus Christ, which for us means theophany, theophanic, meaning revelation of God, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because as Christ entered the waters of baptism, so too did the Holy Spirit come down upon him in the form of a dove, and his Father's voice boomed out from the heavens, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, having come through these great, great feast days, and of course we sort of hang on to the residue of those feasts. Those feasts are beginnings of our vision of modifying our behavior to live as people of the incarnation, people of the manifestation of the epiphany, the theophany. And as we do, we look then towards Lent and Easter pretty soon. In fact, actually, next Sunday, next week already, will be the first sort of shot over the bow, the first distant echo of the beginnings of the preparation for Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Hard to believe. We just come through the marvelous feast, the incarnation. Christmas just seems to be still with us, or it should seem that way. And already we're going to look forward. The distant echo over the horizon is the sounds of the approaching season of the great fast, which of course would lead to Pascha, the resurrection of the Lord. And then that, of course, would complete the cycle. But in between, we have a very fascinating week in terms of people who live this incarnation great saints, and they happen to be 
are ascetical saints or the great monks of the Eastern Church. In fact, this week, we have the monks Anthony the Great, who was the very first one. He's the one actually founded monasticism as we know it. Athanasius and Cyril, Macarius, Euthemius, and we even have Maximus the Confessor. And also, tomorrow, that's Monday the 16th, we celebrate the veneration of the change of St. Peter. Now, what's interesting about this week with these monks and what we're going to do today is something just a little bit different. We've often interviewed monks on this program. As you know, Eastern monasticism is very much a part of the soul of the Eastern churches. And so we do feature it a lot, especially with our friend Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery, now in Nanzians, Wisconsin. But we're going to feature today some of the kind of the fun parts of these great monastics. In other words, we're going to read from sources which are well known in the Eastern churches and sources I highly recommend to you. One of those sources is called the Synaxarian. What that is, is that's a book, it actually comes in several volumes, of the saint of the day. Every saint in the Eastern calendar is featured there each day and has a little story about them and also some commentary about them. Even some little tidbits and little trivia, which are a lot of fun a lot of times. They're very instructional. So we're going to read about that. And this is especially fun when it comes to the monastics because they have some great stories. And also there's another book called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. And this is a classic book, which like the Synaxarian, features the monastics and features a lot of little tidbits of their lives and little sayings and phrases and stories attributed to them in their lives. A lot of things that we can learn from, a lot of little pearls of wisdom. So we're going to have some fun today on Light of the East with our monastics, especially since we have so many of them this week, and also because they kind of form that link between this great time of the incarnational feast and then the great season of Lent leading to the death and resurrection of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. Well, the first one up, as I mentioned, is Holy Father Anthony the Great. Now, Anthony was really the founder of monasticism, and Here's a little bit of his story. He was called the father of monks and was born in central Egypt about A.D. 251. See, monasticism came from the east, and as it went to the west, it later developed into other types of things such as the mendicants, or in other words, religious orders and so on. But in the east, there basically remained just monasticism. So Anthony was the son of a peasant farmers who were Christian, and in 269 A.D., he heard the gospel read in church and applied to himself the words, Go, sell all you have, and give it to the poor, and come. He devoted himself to a life of asceticism under the guidance of a recluse near his village. Then in 285, he went alone into the desert to live in complete solitude. His reputation attracted followers who settled near him, and in 305 AD, he came out of his hermitage in order to act as their spiritual father. Five years later, he again retired into solitude. He visited Alexandria at least twice, once during the persecution of Christians, and again to support the bishop Athanasius against heresy. He died at the age of 105. His life was written by St. Athanasius and was very influential in spreading the ideals of monasticism throughout the Christian world. It's kind of interesting because what happened is this monasticism really was a lay movement as such. And they wanted a radical witness to Christianity since the, a lot of the blood martyrdom had died out, you know, thankfully, and Christianity became more legalized and accepted. But these Christians, upon hearing the gospel, being so inspired as Anthony was, they wanted still a dramatic kind of testimony, a dramatic kind of witness in their own life. And so they developed what we know today as white martyrdom, which really is monasticism. It's another kind of dying to self and being singly focused on Christ But instead of blood martyrdom, it becomes what we call a white martyrdom. In other words, it's the martyrdom of your life, of dying, not in shedding your blood necessarily, but in shedding those parts of you, any part of you, 
which has anything to do with self-centeredness, of living for yourself. So you die to self and live entirely for Christ. That's why they became very solitary figures. And the desert hermits, like Anthony, who would go out to the desert, well, they grew in holiness and fame as much as they tried to escape Well, they weren't escaping for selfish reasons. They were escaping actually for very courageous reasons. They were escaping, not so much escaping, perhaps I should say really, they were plunging headlong into the great spiritual battle of their own fallenness, their deep, deep fallenness that all of us have. They were engaging that and and embracing that and encountering that and trying to redeem that. And so they really were going into the fire of the spiritual life. They were not escaping the sense of, well, they want to get away from everything. And sure, anybody can be peaceful and loving when you don't have anybody else around to bother you and get you more angry. It wasn't that. They were going into the fire, as it were, of the spiritual battle within themselves. And they chose the desert as that scene. Well, what would happen is they would grow in holiness, and stories about them would begin to grow. And so, too, did their followings grow. So people would seek them out. They would go and seek them out for guidance and for healing and even for some of the miracles that became attributed to them. So this is what happened with Anthony. Here's a couple of pearls of wisdom from the life of St. Anthony. Again, this is from the great book, The Saying of the Desert Fathers. And by the way, this is by Benedict Ward. The Sayings of the Desert Fathers by Benedicta Ward. And this is copyright, Sister Benedicta, 1975. But it's a classic, 1975. And this is what Anthony said. Abba Anthony, which of course meant father, you know, the head of the monastery. Abba Anthony said to Abba Piman, This is the great work of man, always to take the blame for his own sins before God and to expect temptation to his last breath. He said also, he who wished to live in solitude in the desert is delivered from three conflicts, hearing, speech, and sight. There's only one conflict for him, and that is with fornication. Hmm. Well, like I said, they went headlong into the great battles. (laughs) Now, some more stories about Anthony. And this comes from, again, the Synaxarian. St. Anthony teaches, learn to desire humility. For that will cover all your sins. All sin is hateful to God, but the most hateful of all is pride of heart. Do not consider yourself learned or wise, or all your toil will be lost and your ship will ripe empty at the shore. If you have great power, threaten no man with death. Know that according to nature you also are subject to death, and that each soul takes off its body as its final clothing. In Byzantium, there was a strange and instructive custom at the coronation of the emperor in St. Sophia's. This was that when the patriarch placed the crown on the emperor's head, he at the same time placed in his hand a silk purse filled with grave dust, that the emperor might be mindful of his death, flee all pride, and be humble. Anthony also said this, A time is coming when men will go mad, and when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him, saying, You are mad. You are not like us. Now, personally, I think that's rather prophetic, even though it was said back in the third century. It seems to be what's happening today. Those who embrace the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the whole created order and are faithful to that, especially in moral principles, they're the ones, or I should say, hopefully we are the ones who ascribe to that. We are the ones that are being looked at as being weird or mad or out of it. So I think Anthony was very prophetic in that. We're going to talk more about the great desert fathers and their stories and their little pearls of wisdom, which we encounter this week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. 
In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're talking about the great ascetics that we're celebrating in the Byzantine liturgical calendar this week, this week that actually is kind of the link between this past great season of the incarnational feast days that is Christmas and Theophany and the circumcision of our Lord, and also in the West, the visit of the Magi, three kings. It's between that and the beginnings of the Lenten season, which of course leads us to the culmination of the cycle of redemption of our Lord on earth, his death and resurrection. In between, we've got these ascetics and quite a few of them this week, and they're very fascinating figures, lots of fun. So we're having a little bit of fun with them today, reading about their lives and about some of their stories and their pearls of wisdom. The next one up is Father Macarius the Great. Now, he was an Egyptian and one of the contemporaries of St. Anthony, who we just talked about, Anthony the Great. His father was a priest. He married in obedience to his parents' wishes, but his wife died very soon and went off into the desert of Scytus, where he spent 60 years in toil and struggle, both physical and spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven. When he was asked why he was so thin, both when he ate and when he fasted, he replied, from fear of God. He succeeded so greatly in purifying his mind from evil thoughts and his heart from evil desires that God endowed him with abundant, wonder-working gifts, such that he even raised the dead from the grave. His humility made men and demons marvel. A demon once said to him, There is only one thing which I cannot excel you, that is not in fasting, for I never eat, nor in vigils, for I never sleep. Then what is it, said Macarius? Your humility, replied the demon. Macarius often said to his disciple, Paphnutius, how's that for a name, Paphnutius, condemn no man and you will be saved. He lived for 90 years. Before his death, St. Anthony and St. Pacomius appeared to him from the other world and told him that he would die in nine days' time. And so it came to pass. 
Cherubim also appeared to him before his death and revealed the heavenly blessed world to him in a vision, praised his labors and virtues, and told him that they had been sent to take his soul to the heavenly kingdom. The great Macarius entered into rest in the year 390 A.D. Now here's some stories for him from the Synaxarian. The examples of the meek enduring of violence that we find in the Holy Fathers are given to us to marvel at. Returning once on the path to his cell, Macarius the Great saw a robber carrying his things out of it and loading them onto a donkey. Macarius said nothing to him and even helped him to get everything loaded, saying to himself, we brought nothing into this world. He was quoting 1 Timothy 6-7. Another elder, when robbers had taken everything from his cell, looked around and saw that they had left a bundle of money, which had been lying hidden somewhere. So he quickly took up this bundle, called to the robbers, and gave it to them. Again, a third elder, finding thieves in the act of plundering his cell, called to them, Hurry, hurry, don't let their brothers find you, or they'll stop me fulfilling Christ's command. Of him that take away your goods, ask them not again. That's from Luke chapter 6. So, you see, some amazing stories. In fact, that kind of reminds me of the, some of the storyline of the great play and book Les Miserables, you know, where the young man was robbing a little bit of bread and a little bit of like a candle from a bishop's uh, residence. And when the police came to get him, the bishop protected him by saying, oh, little robber, you forgot this too. And he handed him this other candelabra. So, very similar story. I wonder if the author of Les Mis got his inspiration from these desert fathers from the Eastern Church. Here's another little saying from uh, Abbot Macarius, Macarius the Great. He says this, If you reprove someone, you yourself get carried away by anger, and you are satisfying your own passions. Do not lose yourself, therefore, in order to save another. Abba Macarius was asked, How should one pray? The old man said, There is no need at all to make long discourses. It is enough to stretch out one's hands and say, Lord, as you will, and as you know, have mercy. If the conflict grows fiercer, say, Lord, help. He knows very well what we need, and he shows us his mercy. Yeah, that's very interesting because oftentimes as a priest, people will talk to me about their difficulty in prayer. You know, even priests will have difficulty in prayer too. Even the great saints did. You know, they have dry spells or dark nights of the soul. It seems to be a part of the rhythm of our relationship with God for whatever reason. But when that happens, one of the things that I learned and I counsel other people to do as well is to do just what Macarius the Great said. Make your prayer very heartfelt but very simple. Just a couple words. And the Lord will hear the sincerity of your prayer and he will answer it. And from there, you begin to expand a bit until you come all the way up to the point where you're doing the divine office or the prayers that people really want to say. Like many people say to me, well, Father, you know, I should be saying my morning and night prayers, but I've been skipping that or I haven't been able to do it. I just haven't been able to pray like that. They'll tend to define prayer almost entirely in very formal terms exclusively. But what I like to tell them, and again, drawing from the great ascetics, I'll tell them to be very simple, but profound and sincere. And that, of course, means base your prayer on a simple word, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it was these great desert fathers of the Eastern Church that gave us this tremendously powerful little pearl called the Jesus Prayer. And that is very simply using the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You simply say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you repeat that over and over again, very attentively. And what they used to do, the great desert fathers, they would actually teach people to to synchronize it with their very breath. So we'd breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, and breathe out, 
Son of God, breathe in. Have mercy on me, breathe out a sinner. Or something like that, in that kind of rhythm where your very breath, your thought, your breath, it's like almost as if they could synchronize it with their very heartbeat so that we become prayer. You're not just saying prayers, but you're actually becoming prayer. And it's very, very simple. Remember, God, the truths of spirituality are always simple but profound. When things get complicated, that's usually a sign that we're moving away from God. You know, the evil, the devil is very complex, very dichotomous, very disintegrated. God and truth are very integrated, very synthesized, very simple but profound. Don't confuse simple with simplistic. Simple but profound. What could be more profound than the name of Jesus upon our lips? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm going to offer that prayer to you, drawing from our great desert fathers, as something that I use a lot myself, and I guarantee you it does wonders. One of the things it can do is, first of all, it can ward off any unwanted temptations. You're having trouble with temptations, whatever it is, thoughts, anger, all the passions especially, distraction. It also is very good for anxiety. You'd be amazed at how calm you can be whenever you start saying the Jesus prayer. Just start putting the name of Jesus on your lips and on your heart and your breath and every part of you. Very simple, but sincere and profound. You'd be amazed. I'll bet you could even take your blood pressure and watch it drop dramatically. The doctors would be amazed and say, well, gee, what's your remedy? What pill are you taking? And you say, no, nothing, just a little something from the Desert Fathers, just a simple name of our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, there's another little story from Abba Macarius. He was asked, how should one pray? Amakarya said, if slander has come to you the same as praise, poverty as riches, deprivation as abundance, you will not die. Indeed, it is impossible for anyone who firmly believes, who labors with devotion, to fall into the impurity of the passions and be led astray by the demons. Amakarya also said to his brothers, flee, my brothers. One of the old men asked him, where could we flee to beyond this desert? He put his finger on his lips and said, flee and he went to his cell, shut the door, and sat down. Well, we have one more great desert father. We actually have several more this week, but we're just going to get to one more. His name is Euthemius the Great, another great one. Euthemius the Great. He was born in the Armenian town of Melitini near the river Euphrates in 377, of noble and eminent parents, and he was their only son. His mother, Dionysia, had prayed for a child and had a heavenly vision concerning his birth. He lived in asceticism from his youth at first in the vicinity of his town, but then after a visit to Jerusalem at the age of 29. He filled his days and nights with prayer and meditation, contemplation and physical toil, and many disciples gathered round him. He taught his monks the love of hardship, saying, If you eat bread that comes not from your own labors, that means that you eat the labor of another. When one of the younger brethren desired to fast more than others, he forbade him and ordered him to come to the common table so that he should not become proud through his too great fasting. Euthemius also said that it is not good for a monk to move from place to place, for he said, A tree that is frequently transplanted does not bear fruit. Whoever desires to do good can do it in the place where he is. On love, he said, as salt is to bread, so is love to the other virtues. Euthemius would go off to the desert in the first week of the great fast, remain there in silence and meditation on God until before Easter. During his lifetime, a great monastery grew up near his cave, which was for centuries full of monks as a hive of bees. His last command was that there should be loving hospitality to guests in the monastery and that its gate should never be closed. Do you know, these monks were so amazing 
that we can actually attribute things like modern-day hospitals to them. That's right, as you just heard from the life of Euthemius, later on St. Basil the Great, it was the Eastern monks who developed the hospitality to strangers and those who were sick, getting people up off the streets like Mother Teresa in our modern times and caring for them. So, once again, the great Desert Fathers of the Eastern Church have much to offer us to this day. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.